Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you join me. And before we get into today's podcast, I just want to give a huge shout out to the physical therapy students in New York City. This past weekend, I was honored and thrilled to be the keynote speaker at the New York City Student Conclave. And these students put on a stellar event. They had some great physical therapists from the New York City area and 250, almost maybe around even more, 300 students were there. And it was wonderful. I absolutely loved the event. It was smooth. It was great. I'm definitely taking some pointers from them for the Women in PT Summit next year. So congrats to all the students and especially to Emily and Max because their leadership and devotion to the New York City Student Conclave was wonderful and they put on a great event. So congratulations to all the students there. Well, well done. Okay, in this episode, uh, I sit down with Sturdy McKee. I have wanted to get him on the podcast for a long time. He's such a good person. He's kind and generous with his time. Um, A little bit more about Sturdy. He's a business coach, entrepreneur, and business owner who also happens to be a physical therapist and private practice owner. His why is to help people succeed. He has a special place in his heart for physical therapist entrepreneurs and private practice owners. As a business coach and instructor, Sturdy brings the practical knowledge of owning, operating, and growing businesses combined with extensive training and learning to clients who want to improve their business operations and achieve their personal and business goals. So... I was lucky enough to corner him at the private practice meeting, which was took place in Chicago, Illinois, a couple of weekends ago. And I also want to thank Net Health for letting us use their sort of happy hour as our home base for this podcast, for this recording. And also to Kelly Dugan, who is a physical therapist in the Boston area, for being in the audience and asking such great questions. Better than I did. I should have had her do the interview. So in this episode, we discussed current challenges facing the physical therapy profession, what is a vision of meaning, the top three qualities Sturdy looks for in job candidates. So for all you students out there, this is a big one, and how to motivate employees with key performance indicators, and we talked about getting your vision together and knowing your core values and how that just leads to a better working environment. So a huge thank you to Sturdy and a huge thank you to all of you for downloading and listening and loving the podcast. So enjoy today's episode. Hey, everybody. So we are coming to you live from the Net Health event at the PPS meeting in Chicago. And I am sitting next to Sturdy McKee, and we are going to have a great conversation, more big picture stuff about the physical therapy practice and business in general. So Sturdy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here, Karen. Appreciate it. Really and appreciate it. Of course. And I, I feel like this is a long time coming. You probably should have been on the podcast years ago. I don't know why you haven't. I don't know. 
I think it might have something to do with an invitation. I, I don't think, <laughs> what? I feel like it's a standing invitation. Come on. Um, anyway, now I feel bad. Um, okay, so like I said, we're going to be talking some more big picture things, maybe mindset stuff. But I think the first question I'd love to pose is, as we all know, in the physical therapy world, there are a lot of challenges. But are there things that are maybe under the radar that people aren't picking up as a challenge that can make a big difference in your business? Oh, there, there's a, probably a long list, but we can talk about a couple of them. And really, I know I teased you about the invitation, but I think the timing right now, especially for a topic like this, is really ideal just because all the things we've been learning and doing over the last, even the last year, um, and kind of what I've learned and been exposed to and all. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the things that we talk about, and we were talking earlier about, you know, some of the issues at Graham sessions and that type of thing and how we keep coming back to the same things. We, you know, we deal with compliance, we deal with hiring, we deal with documentation and challenges around billing and payment systems and all that kind of stuff. But I think there are, you know, there are a number of things that work for, or that could work for people that are, that are kind of, well, first there's low-hanging fruit of are you really managing and having regular meetings and do you know what the objectives and the agenda uh, items are for those meetings and how to get the results that you want? Um, because a good meeting should not be a waste of time, it should be a multiplier. And, um, and then managing to the metrics. And I find that you know, therapists aren't certain about what metrics to measure, or at least not what to focus on. They might have a long list. I got something from a potential client the other day was 45 pages long of the metrics they were tracking. And 45 pages of metrics? Yes, there were graphs on each one. So each one was a different metric, wow. but it's still 45 um, things. And it, it, that's, how do you focus on a list that's that big and coming back to a few things that really can be impactful and what your primary focus needs to be at, at, the, at any given time because once you've solved one you can kind of move to the next one and stuff as well so um, you know if I dealing with visits per case and coaching my staff and having them kind of figure out well how to sell the plan of care what to do and we're, we're being successful with that okay we've solved that problem we monitor it but now we need to go forward and focus on another one that's going that may not be optimal may not be doing what we want but that's and that's not super sexy or anything but the, that, that can be one piece and then the other thing that um, I think can be really impactful in the longer run longer term is the idea of having a vision that's really comprised of the right components to get your staff engaged to have customers and patients engaged and excited about what you're trying to do, you know, including, you know, and that, and that expands out to other people, strategic partners, referral sources, and others that can get excited about the kind of the, the purpose and the reason you're doing what you're doing. And so when you talk about a vision of meaning, that's a pretty broad topic. So if someone were to say to you, what, what do you mean by a vision of meaning and how can I figure that out? What is your answer? The, so having a vision of meaning and it's interesting too in this context of people thinking because um, even in our industry there's people out there talking about how running a business is really just about making money getting more customers and, and forget all this vision and purpose and value stuff um, I think that's that's not why we got into this profession in the first place you know we became therapists to take care of people to help people or do something along those lines and um, a vision of meaning really is comprised of three components you got your core purpose 
or your why, your, the reason your business exists, the core values, which by the way are not one word items either. They're, they need to be explainable and behavioral in nature so everybody knows what it is they're supposed to be doing. And then the BHAG, and the BHAG comes from Jim Collins and Good to Great, um, the big, hairy, audacious goal. And, uh, you know, the BHAG goes beyond numbers and scale and financials. It's really to be inspiring and to resonate with your team and to resonate with customers and others that want to participate and help you achieve your goals ultimately. You can couch that more in terms of who you're going to serve, the numbers, how many, how you know how you're going to do that. So having your goal, and, and by the way, any goal has to have a timeline, a deadline as well. So it needs to follow the smart paradigm of specific, measurable, um, you know, realistic, time-bound. And then the A is the other thing that I think is hugely impactful. And I've only seen it a couple ways this way. There are a lot of different variations, but getting agreement, agreement and buy-in to what that is, whether that's from your team or your business partner or your spouse or your customers or whoever, but getting agreement and buy-in so you're, you've defined the goal, you know what success looks like, and now we're all going to go after it. And when you said as far as like you should know your core values and it should just be it shouldn't be a couple of words. Can you give an example of what maybe someone that maybe you've worked with, of what is their core value of their practice? Because I think that it can trip a lot of people up. So do you have an example well, of maybe, like what is the core value of your practice? Can I, can I give you some that don't work first? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. probably a good idea. Yeah, okay. what, let, so, let's say, let's talk what doesn't work first. So in, in some of the, the in, a, in the courses I develop in teaching and stuff, the one example I use and put core values up includes um, communication, integrity, respect, and there are a couple others. I don't remember all of them right now. But and then there are paragraphs underneath explaining. And this is the way most companies do it. But those core values, the communication, integrity, respect, um, I think excellence was another, uh, were all core values of Enron before the scandal. And that kind of next step Taints gotcha. it a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's like, and, and, you know, so you got a couple questions. One is, what does communication mean to you? And, and, you know, there's several people sitting here, and if we asked you about communication, we're all going to come up with a little bit different definitions and sometimes really disparate definitions of what that is. And, and really making sure that you make that into a behavioral model so that, that it, we both understand what what's expected of us and I'll give you some ideas around that in a second but um, the other issue there too is they weren't they weren't following them and and I think we've all probably been in places and worked in places where the core values are simply a list on a wall or on the back of your name badge or something like that where they don't really matter and and that that's probably the worst thing you can do in, in creating a vision of meaning is create core values that you're not actually going to live by as the owner the leader um, you know, you, you undermine your own credibility and integrity in that situation, and then everybody else follows that, and they know that they don't really matter. Um, so, you, number one, they can't be, or well, they're different kinds, but you don't want these true core values to be aspirational. You don't want them to be things that you hope for and want to do someday. They need to be actual rules that you live by now. And uh, my favorite example of core values that work, and I, I can share some of, of our practice as well later, but. My favorite are from the New Zealand All Blacks, and the All Blacks are the New Zealand national rugby team. And um, a, a couple of theirs, like one of them is Sweep the Sheds, um, 
another is, is follow the arrowhead. But the sweep the sheds idea is, is basically saying that it doesn't matter if you're an international all-star or not, you take care of the, the field, the home, Oh, the you equipment. literally sweep. I thought that you, was like a rugby term to take no, someone down. <laughs> no, 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 you sweep the sheds. You, you clean up after uh-huh. yourself. You respect the field. You take, you know, respect the groundskeepers. You don't leave trash behind, you know, and, and even like those basic things, but it can, obviously goes beyond that. It's, it is somewhat metaphorical, but the idea of it doesn't matter um, how big a star you are, you still live by these same values. And another one of theirs is leave the jersey in a better place. And that doesn't mean literally put the jersey somewhere else. It means that's your flag. That's the banner. That's the representation of the team. And can you add honor to that throughout? And the cool thing about that is there will be people that detract and say that this doesn't work and you know you have to be more um, expedient or pragmatic or whatever words they want to use in business. But the All Blacks have the winningest percentage in sports since 1902. They've won over 77% of their games. And I did an article, to, did a little research, an article around around this. Um, New Zealand, the population of New Zealand is like that of San Francisco, Oakland, or Phoenix. You know, and they're playing countries like France and, and England and, you know, countries that are 10, 20 and bigger, si- you know, size, times the times size, the size of their... Yeah their country and yet they're, they still have this success because they're committed to each other, they're committed to the values, they're committed to a certain set of behaviors that beget the success and they stick to it. And so I, I love the fact that you mentioned, you know, anyone can have values, but if you don't live by them and you don't run your company by them, what's the point of having them? You know, it's like that Seinfeld episode when he reserved the car, but when he went to pick it up, they already gave it to someone else. And he was <laughs> right. like, anybody can make a reservation. The whole point is to keep the reservation. So anybody can have core values, but if you don't live by them and you don't express them with within your the culture of your business, then why put them up on your wall right. or your fridge or what have you? So what's have you found in the PT world, what's a good expression of that, of those core values? Or, or give a sentence or two as to something that's successful. Well, one, one that stands out for me, and I won't, I mean, you can go on our website and look at my practices, core values and stuff, that, that I won't pitch that. One of the ones that stands out for me, though, that I really liked along these same lines was uh, Alice Holland up, up in the Pacific Northwest. Her, one of her company's core values was um, don't let your don't let the letters or something I'm, I'm gonna mess it up but this paraphrase. is the idea don't let the letters be your box or don't you let your title be your box and the idea there was that if you whether you're a doctor of physical therapy or whether you're a receptionist or whether you have a FAA OMPT or whatever it is that that's not who you are that's that's something you earned perhaps or you know certainly but Mm -hmm. but who you are and what we do in the practice is is what needs to get done and it's everybody you know again it doesn't matter your title or or your role if stuff needs to get done we we do it we help each other we're a true team we're collaborative and that's kind of the idea behind the the gist of that to define for people that yeah you pass the ball you work together and and that's something else that can be really challenging in our profession too Um, you know people coming out of school not really understanding that given that context that they need to collaborate and be true team players they're They've had to get there by themselves, and what got you there isn't really what's going to get you to the next level. 
Yeah, I think, and and I think we spoke about this the other day, is that in, in physical therapy, we're kind of conditioned to be on our own, right? Like you have to take your practicals on your own, you're testing on your own, you go out to your clinicals on your own, you do all this kind of stuff on your own. And so then when you're hired and you have to be part of a team, does that sort of best last man standing or everyone for themselves has to be kind of reprogrammed and so how do we get out of that habit and to reprogram the people that we hire you know Kelly's here she has her own practice you know she's hiring someone what does she need to do to help instill that value well I think the first step is recognizing it so what's collaboration on a test called in school Cheating. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. So, so, I was always right, a good right, student. Right. So Karen's like excited she got the answer right. But that's kind of the point. She d- you don't have to know that, right? Yeah. You, you, we've got other people here that we can ask and we can go to. And um, and it is, but you think about the people you're hiring. So, so Kelly's here. You hire somebody who got their DPT. They literally have 20 years of, and by the way, they're 25 years old. Right? Or maybe they're 28 or 30, but they're 20 years of conditioning to be right and do it by themselves. And that, the minute you graduate, that changes. And I don't know that anybody's telling people that or taking it on head on. And I think, you know, when you see successful business owners, successful practice owners, they, they get that. They've either been taught that, they've learned it, or they get it intuitively. Um, and they want to work together with people, and that's a big part of their success. Um, you know, and, and, but meanwhile, we've got people coming out thinking, oh, I'm awesome, I'm going to do this. And even if they're not, even if they're worried about how well they're going to do, they're still reliant upon, or they think they're reliant upon themselves, when, when what they've actually done is just joined a team. And I, I should have no concerns or compunction or, or reservations about going and asking you a question clinical or communications or business or anything else. I mean, I'm a novice in this world, right? And usually it's not the clinical stuff. That's the other thing that gets people, you know, you have a doctor in physical therapy, you just spent the last three years studying the clinical stuff. That's generally not your weak point. Mm -hmm. You know, the weak point is communication or patient rapport or synthesizing and prioritizing information or, you know, there are a dozen other things, But, but the clinical piece is not generally where you need work. So it's just like your patients. You don't go work on the strongest muscle group. You work on the stuff that isn't. Right. You know. And it's the EQ versus the IQ. Oh, sure. I mean, right? PTs are su- they're smarter. They wouldn't have gotten into school, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't have gotten out of school. We, we got that. Everybody, we, we know you're smart. This, oh, and this kind of brings <laughs> up, so this is a story from, like, interviews, right? One of our questions in interviews is tell me about um, kind of your life, life experience, the thing you're most proud of. And the thing that fascinates me is we've run into this a number of times where somebody's sitting across and they go, oh, graduating from PT school. I'm like, you're talking to other people who graduated from PT school, right? So if that's the greatest thing that ever happened to you, that's, you know, you're, okay, you're among friends, but come on, is there something more, something else that you're excited about or or proud of or, you know, that that you've achieved beyond that? Because, again, you're talking to people who've already been there, done that. Mm -hmm. So really, you know, yeah, in, in the EQ in an interview setting and think about how you take that into your patients and really empathize and ask questions of them and learn about them and really care about 
what's important to them, not just the stuff you learned in school, but how do you marry those, bring those two things together to have the most impact on that individual sitting across from you? I mean, I know we don't want to concentrate too much on that sort of hiring and and interview process, but since you brought it up, what are three things you feel like I should look for as a business owner to the person that's applying to work with me? Well, I think there are a couple steps, and I'm not sure I'll hit three things exactly, but the first step is really understanding what your core values are, what's important to you and the business. Because the, So the thing you're trying to figure out with that individual is who are they and do they fit with and align to the values of your, your organization. Um, so, and, and you kind of mentioned it earlier about having, I, I like to say professing. I profess I believe something, but if my actions don't follow that, then I don't really believe it or it's not not being carried through so you're, you're looking at so you're, so so you're trying to figure that out in order to do that if you articulate and understand what it is you're looking for you know write down the values the goal basically your goal for this person and then you ask situational questions and not not a um, like hypotheticals but really looking at past experiences because the number one indicator of future behavior is past behavior so you know and yes people can change and yes there there's all kinds of growth and learning and stuff that can happen but instead of asking what would you do if ask them tell me about a time when you know and if you're and if you're saying if you're looking at like customer focus is one of our number one so behavioral competencies is another so we've got core values and then we all of our interview questions all of our number one interview questions and I this is in a course and stuff too but this kind of comes from top grading and that that idea but all the interview questions are focused on core values and then behavioral competencies. And behavioral competencies are the be, the things that we want in that job role. So they're not necessarily across the company. The core values are common to everybody in the company. Behavioral competencies might be different for somebody who's a bookkeeper versus somebody who's you know answering the phone. Okay, you you, you might want different things there, different priorities as far as the skill sets, the things that they're going to bring. Um, but if customer focus for all of our customer facing. Uh, employees is number one, then I'm going to ask scenario questions about, tell me about a time when you exceeded a, a customer or patient's expectations. And the, I think the thing that like PT candidates get hung up on is they always want to go, oh, well, they tell me about it. They want to tell you about a patient. They want to tell you about a treatment thing. I don't care. Tell me about the time when you were a bartender and you went above and beyond, or you were an aide, or you know you were working at the, the student union and you did something exceptional just to show that you understand what that customer focus, that customer service, customer experience kind of piece is and needs to be. And if you can explain a time when you actually did that, then, you know, that's awesome. If you're struggling with that question, you know, and customer focus is our number one, you know, behavioral competency, then, you know, that, that, I'm going to want to ask more questions, but that's not going to move you up to the top of the queue. Okay. And, and I think it's important. I love that. When did you go above and beyond for someone? You know, I was at a course last week and they said the whole thing about relation, building a relationship with someone is to go above and beyond and kind of take that road less traveled. And they're like, that road is never crowded, meaning <laughs> there, there are not a lot of people in this world no. that are going above and beyond what they should do. So if you are a physical therapy owner, if you have a practice and you're going above and beyond for your patients, you're doing more than many, many other people are. 
And when you're looking to hire someone, if they can't even find a time where they've never gone above and beyond, you know... Maybe they haven't. Maybe they haven't, (laughs) you know? But is that someone, like, maybe that can change if the culture of your practice can instill that? I don't know. Well, that's a a great question because I... um, And it comes up a lot, right? So if you have a... If you're listening to this and you have a pen or paper or something... Um, now would be a good time to get it out. Yeah, write it down, <laughs> make, a, make a grid, a, quad, a quadrants, four quadrants, right? And, and you have lives the core values, doesn't live the core values, like on the top left and the top right, and exceeds expectations and doesn't meet expectations on the left side above and below, right? And you can map out all your team members. You can map out people in your company currently. You can map out people that you anticipate hiring. And um, what you're kind of alluding to, I think, is that person on the right side that doesn't live the core values. And the hard one is when they, um, well, here, you think about the person in the top right, they don't live the core values, but they're meeting all their KPIs, all their metrics, their numbers, their job duties are doing it, but they're in opposition to the behaviors that you want in the, in, in the clinic, the organization. And then somebody over here on the bottom left who lives the core values, but isn't hitting their numbers, isn't entering the data right, isn't whatever. Um, So the question then is, can I teach you values more easily than I can teach you skills? And we've always been of the mindset of, I can teach how to mow the neck, or assess a knee, or tape somebody, or whatever. I can impart the skills in how to answer the phone and do the intake in the right order, or know where the stuff is in the software to enter it properly, whatever. I can teach you the skills. Now, not, that doesn't mean everybody's gonna learn it, right? Not everybody is an A student, okay? I mean, some people are gonna fail, and if they fail three times or four times in a row, do you, is that the right role for them? Um, so you've gotta think about that too, but in general terms, am I going to have an easier time of teaching you the skills or changing what you value and what your behaviors are? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that might be a little self-evident at this point. Yeah. It's a leading I question, I guess. It was a little bit of a leading question, but, you know, and, and that's a, when I think about people that I'm going to hire, I have a home-based practice. So I said the same thing. I can teach someone pain science. I can teach someone how to evaluate. I can do, but what I can't teach someone is to be kind and to be respectful in someone's home and to be friendly, to be punctual. These are things that are a little more difficult to teach someone, but I can teach somebody, I can teach anybody any any of that clinical stuff. And, you know, when PTs come out of school, like, they're good on the clinical stuff, for the most part. You know, generally, yeah. Generally, yes. So, it's, it's teaching, but it is hard to teach, like, if someone's not kind, how do you teach kindness? I don't yeah. know, that's a rhetorical question. How do you do that? Like, do you have them watch Oprah all the time? Do you, I mean, <laughs> what do you do? Super Soul Sunday every day? Well, I mean... I was just talking with a client about something similar and, and you know, the, the idea being can people change and, and we kind of played with that idea for a few minutes, but can people change? And, and I guess where I land is, yeah, people can change. Can I change them? And, you know, though, generally if they're going to change, that ends up being something that comes, you know, internally. That's something that they want. And that, you know, and, and if that happens, then I'll help. But am I going to m- make you change, persuade you, force you, trick you? Manip- I don't know. I, that that's just seems far less likely than if you have an epiphany or realization or something that you want to 
do, right? right? Versus yeah. like you said, can you teach them how to do an assessment differently? Yeah, you can sure. do that. Sure. So Kelly, do you have any questions? So I'll, what I'll have you do is just kind of, sorry to put you on the spot. She's like, what? But just kind of, if you want to just introduce yourself and the name of your practice and where you're from and kind of where you are in your practice journey. Okay, so I'm Kelly Duggan. I have a physical therapy practice in Massachusetts called Physical Therapy U. We've been in practice for about a year and a half. So my question to you, I have a million questions, right? So no problem there, but one of my questions to you is, so I've been tracking KPI and metrics for myself, and I get excited about metrics, and I'm like, yeah, we're doing so well. So what would be a strategy or maybe a tip from you to say, how do I get my staff to also be super excited about metrics and like drink that Kool-Aid and be like, yes, let's work towards it. Because they're excited about treating and they're excited about working there and they like the, you know, the whole thing of physical therapy you, but like the numbers is like, they don't really care. So how do I get them to be like, yes. That is a super common question from owners. And uh, I'll ask you a question in just a second, but the, um, I think the, the biggest mistake that like Jerry and I made in starting the PT practice and hiring was thinking that the same things that motivated us were going to motivate people we hired. And, and, and we were wrong. I mean, just, I think he'll tell you the same thing. We were flat out wrong. And uh, learning that early on and then figuring out, okay, so, you know, it's not, it's not so much the golden rule of do unto others as you would have them do to you. It's really do unto them as they want, want to be, you know, dealt with. Um, so really figuring out what their motivations are, what excites them, um, I think is, is one of the challenges. And, and, and that's one of the good attributes of being a leader. You have to be able to speak kind of these different languages. Even if your primary one is over here, you've got to be able to relate to them and figure out what do they, you know, what do they want and how do I talk to them in that kind of format. Um, but have, have you ever coached sports? Coached? No. So for anybody who's coached sports, um, or you've played. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, there was an absolutely from Kelly on that <laughs> one. I got, I got that part. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you, if you played and you think about what the coaches talk about with the players, they don't go in and say, hey, we have to score 12 runs, or we have to score three goals, we have to do... They don't focus, the good ones anyway, don't focus on the outcome, the metric. What they focus is, they focus on the process, right? And... It, and um, you know, I actually, the, the, this clicked for me in an interview on NPR when they had this hockey coach who was doing youth development who had coached at the highest levels. I don't even know his name. I only learned a, like a year and a half ago there were six people on a side in hockey. I grew up in Florida. I had no idea. So Kelly's smiling at me again being from Massachusetts. Like, what? But, um, yeah, so there's, again, our strengths, what we don't know. Um, but, you know, what he was saying was he coached these youth development teams now and they were asking about winning percentages and all this. He's like, we don't do that. You know, we don't focus on that with the players. We focus on passes, um, you know, interceptions. We focus on, on completing the shot. We focus on technique and process and skating and being in the right place and all these different pieces and components and parts. And, and I just went, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense, right? Because, uh, you know, I grew up playing soccer, and you don't have a coach going in, hey, you got to score, got to score. It's about connecting the next thing. It's about being aware. It's about all the pieces and parts that go into that. Um, you know, and, and you can, the same thing for any sport. So if you treat your business like a sport and you think of yourself like the coach, you're not trying to make 20 other coaches. You're trying to make players successful. 
and and the language they speak is generally around process, right? So if you're coaching to a metric like visits per case, you're trying to match their visits per case with their plans of care. And and you're trying to make sure they have the right conversations at the right time and they get people scheduled at the right time and they talk to them about their goals and relate things back and make the treatment relevant. And if they're doing all those pieces and parts that go into it, the numbers, the score will work out. And that's how you know you're being successful as the coach and they're being successful as the player. But but trying to get them to care about the metric. Um, And by the way, I'm saying this from a place of, I did that. It didn't work. I've worked with other people and tried to do it. It didn't work, right? So um, I'm, it's not like, oh, I have this magic solution. It's like, oh, no, we, we, we made that mistake. Um, but figuring this out and approaching it from a different way when something's not working, just like you do treatment, um, you know, ends up, it, it, you change the intervention, you change what you're doing, do you get a different result or a better result? Is that helpful? Uh, yes, again, absolutely, right? <laughs> So did you have any, I know you said you had a couple of questions. If you, do you have any, go ahead. I would love to ask another question. Thank you. Um, so in, so I'm a small practice, right, again. So how do I compete with these other sort of conglomerates of recruiting these new grads? I don't have all this bonus structure to say, if you do this, you get this. I don't have, here's a sign-on bonus. I don't have those sort of things. I just have my culture that I can promote. So is, sorry. So is that like kind of what you would, your go-to? Is I like think, just yeah. promote it from there? Yeah, I think you've kind of answered your own question. Um, but, but to put a little bit finer point on it, um, you know, I, I think we get so hung up and this comes up over and over in these online groups and stuff. How do I incentivize? How do I bonus my people? Um, you know, and, and one of my questions to clients and all is, do, do, you, do you volunteer for anything? Do people in general volunteer for things? And, um, you know, and we go back to Maslow's hierarchy and, and all. Money is important in that it satisfies the needs and provides you know, a basis and safety and, you know, you want to be able to pay the bills, you want to be able to do nice things for your spouse and your kids and what have you. But, again, if we if we all just wanted to make a lot of money, we wouldn't be starting out, you know, in healthcare and being PTs. So we've got to meet a minimum kind of standard. We've got to be competitive. We've got to pay people what they think is fair. Um, but once you've done that, it really, you know, you've kind of satisfied that layer of the Maslow's hierarchy. And then you're into belonging and esteem and self-actualization. And those are all the things that go into, like when you talk about your culture, defining your culture as, you know, the vision, the, the core purpose, the reason your company exists. Why? What's, the, what's your BHAG? What's your goal? Um, I have a client that wants to serve 50,000 runner, running athletes by, you know, is that going to attract somebody different from the hospital? Can you, if you pay them a fair wage, do you have to bonus them every month so they stay? Or do they love what they're doing and are engaged because of the patient population and the programs they're developing and the reason they're coming to work each day? So if you give them a purpose, That'll, you know, and it's not even giving them. You have a purpose for your business that aligns with the right people. You're attracting the right people. They're going to be engaged. I mean, you look at peds therapists. You know, the majority of pediatric pediatricians, pediatric therapists, nurses, all the rest of them, they're not doing pediatrics because it's the most lucrative specialty, right? They're doing pediatrics for an entirely different reason. Do they want to get paid fairly? Absolutely. Are they there for a bunch of bonus structure? 
probably not exactly. You know, if, if that's what you're competing on, if that's the differentiating factor, then maybe you need to go back to square one on the culture pieces and figure out where else you could make that better for them, make their experience better. Do you have any questions as an administrator? I don't. This was very eye-opening, very educational. I loved sitting in on this meeting, and I thank you very much for it. Yeah, um, the, the one thing that kind of stuck in my head when you were talking about um, the common core of the business and, and how do you teach somebody what you want to be instilled in them, the, the only thing I can think of is you lead by example. Um, and I have a wonderful boss that definitely <laughs> leads by example, you know. Yeah, <laughs> she is my sister. I'm not trying to get any brownie points here, but um, it just kind of all came full circle sitting here listening in on it. So I do thank you. And if you can give the listener some key points to take away, what would they be? Oh, geez. I think... Uh you know, we talked about people becoming therapists for a reason and when we started businesses for a reason. I think one of the things that's really, that I strive to do and I think can be really impactful or helpful is because, well, you and I were talking about this earlier, if somebody's been in practice for 10, 15 years, there's so much stuff coming at you all the time and it doesn't even take that long, but there's, you're inundated with so many different things that it's, it's not very hard to lose track of why you started all this in the first place. And, um, you know, and, and we can get really frustrated and there can be burnout. And this is true, not just of owners, but people in practice and your career and what have you. But we get frustrated. We're not realizing what we believe may be our full potential or what we thought we were going to be doing or what have you. And I think reconnecting with that spark, that original purpose, um, because we all have a personal kind of core purpose as well. And you want to look at that and make sure that your business and it align and feed each other and help, you know, move you to, they need to be synergistic. So, but if you can get reconnected with why you became a therapist in the first place and why in the world you were crazy enough to start a business, mm -hmm. Kelly, um, you know, because it's hard, it's really hard. And I, and I think, you know, taking a moment, Sasha Strauss said this a, a number of years ago at an EO Alchemy, he was telling people, you know, if you, if you've, made money, congratulate yourself. You've grown your business, congratulate yourself. It's like if you survived last year, congratulate yourself because all the stuff that you're dealing with is is hard and it really is. And uh, you know, nobody but other business owners can really fully appreciate some of the things that you end up having to deal with that, that none of us thought we were going to deal with either. Um, so, so, you know, take a moment and give yourself some credit, but then also get reconnected with that core purpose, that reason that you became a therapist, the reason you started the business, and try to figure out how to articulate that and bring that to life again in your business to get, get in, you know, inspired and re-engaged. I think that's great. And last question, what advice would, knowing where you are now in life and in business, doesn't have to be business related, it could be life related, whatever you want, what, it, what advice would you give to yourself as a new grad right out of PT school? So this is not giving advice to another PT, it's giving advice to yourself. Well, I, I think the advice I would give is to be more judicious and critical of the advice you listen to. Um, what I've run into and, and where I've kind of evolved is what... I don't know where I learned this along the way, but it, at some point I think it finally became evident that most people giving you advice are telling you what worked for them. And 
and because it worked for them doesn't mean it'll work for you. And the you know the context can be different, the background, the skill sets. There's so many variables involved, the timing, um, that what worked for them may or may not have any relevance whatsoever for you. So I think pursue your passion. Um, you know, if I had any advice to give myself knowing all that stuff, it would be to pursue your passion earlier and to get really engaged and to not not be so worried about what everybody else thinks and what everybody else is going to, how they're going to judge you or what you, my goodness, all the times I told myself things I can't do um, and told myself, you know, versus like, hey, let's try it. Let's see how it goes. Um, you know, so I guess, I guess that's what I would tell myself, but also a little bit more general. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice and advice I think we can all live by. And I want to thank you, Sturdy, for coming and Kelly and um, for engaging here at PPS and thanks to NetHealth for letting us hang out in their space. So you could probably hear it in the background a little bit. And um, we'll have all of Sturdy's contact info and Kelly's contact info on the website. So you can go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com, get all of that. And on that note, I just want to thank you all for listening. Thank you, Sturdy, for taking the time out, even though apparently I should have sent an invitation sooner, but whatever. No, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's why I flew to Chicago to be here with you, right? So Exactly. I mean, who wouldn't? Thank you so much for having me. This has been, been a lot of fun. Great. Anytime. And everybody, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.